lights, sirens, heroes. You're listening to the Unreasonable Grounds podcast. A, a maple dip. My God, live you're a maple dip person. A maple dip person. Be true to your roots. Don't be ashamed. Always be yourself. Blah, blah, blah. Of all the different donuts and everything, I would imagine, based on the comic strip, I would have thought, you know, I don't think the Homer Simpson donut is quite your style, but I would have thought, like, definitely chocolate. I don't know why. I I try to stereotype people as best as possible with the donuts and just be like, you know what? You are definitely a Long John person. Like, that is just your job. Like, it's your your jam. It's what you like to do. And it's like, you ever find those kind of strange people that love powder donuts? Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, exactly, right? You're like, you're frowning. You're like, yeah, powder donuts. Come on. Or the plain cake ones. Those ones are gross. It's just like eating lead. Who eats those? What is wrong with people? Don't eat the plain cake donuts. They have no taste. They fit like lead in your stomach. They're absolutely useless. Like use them for a doorstop. They're just, they suck. They suck. Straight up. I don't know why Timmy's makes many more. I don't know why these these small mom and pop donut shops make a plain donut anymore. Just like you said, the plain cake get rid of it you can do whatever you want to do in the world we've seen donuts with bacon on them like i still think that's wrong too and absurd but you know they can do whatever they want okay yeah i think the, i think the plain cake ones are for the over 90 crowd if you're under 90 just don't go there <laughs> well they can't smoke in the donut shops anyways anymore i remember yeah, kids used to- I remember when they put the uh, Robin's Donuts, because Robin Donuts was a big thing in, in the prairies as well, too. Yes, they were, and they're pretty much pretty much gone. Exactly. They're almost all gone. And I remember back home, I grew up in southern Ontario, and southern Ontario used to have some solid Robin's Donuts, and they used to have, like, a glass room inside of them. And that was the smoke, and that was the smoker's room. Nice. And you just see people just, like, you saw that blue film inside that place. And I was trying to think if it was just Ontario. Maybe it was just Ontario because Southern Ontario people are, are, you know, center of the world kind of people. So, yeah, I lived there for a while. <laughs> I, I am not a, and, and just so you know, I'm not from Toronto. I love the people from Toronto and all the rest of that, but I'm not from there. So I'm, I'm from south of Toronto. I'm more half New Yorker than I am, than I am from okay. T.O. So uh, welcome everybody back to the Unreasonable Grounds podcast. This is episode, I'm pretty sure it's going to be episode number 14 and I've got Liv from the Thin Blue Scribble on the podcast today. I am ridiculously excited to be able to have Liv on the podcast. Um, it, it, you know what? Here's the deal. For probably the last, I don't know, eight, nine months, I've been really getting into, into Instagram and over the last year and a half. And one of the first things that I found uh, going through a lot of people's profiles and kind of doing a whole bunch of searches and that... And immediately, I don't know how it happened or where I came across it, but immediately I ended up coming across the Thin Blue Scribble. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? This is kind of neat. It's a comic strip about a law enforcement officer. And I know it's Canadian because obviously I saw the blue pants with the red stripe. I'm like, you can't get any more Canadian than that. (laughs) Other than obviously blue pants with yellow stripe or whatever, you know, right across Canada, we get a whole bunch of different types. But I I saw this comic strip and I'm like, you know what? this is really interesting. This is really fresh. This is really new. And I looked at it and I'm like, eh, I've seen something like this before, but you know what? I'm going to dig into it. And I did, and I dug and I dug and I dug into it. And I'm like, holy crap. I don't think I've laughed that hard. And then just when I thought I was laughing hard enough, I came across a couple of them and I literally, it wasn't like I started crying, but I was just emotional in the sense that I was like, wow, she absolutely nailed it when it comes to the job and what the job does to you and how it affects 
our family and our people around us and our everyday relationships. And I was like, this is absolutely incredible. So because of that, I had to have Liv on. So Liv, welcome to the Unreasonable Grounds podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here tonight. I And again, like I said, it's a year in the making. I was like, you know what? For the last like six, seven months, I'm like, I got to ask Liv to come on. I got it. I got it. I got it. I know I remember sent, I sent you a message a long time ago and I was like, hey, I really like the comic strip. And, uh, and at this time, we were just in development of the podcast. Maybe we had one or two episodes uh, already put out there. And I was like, you know what? Do we have the energy and do we have the level to be able to bring you up? and put you on the podcast and I am super excited to have you on. So before we get into into the tradition of the Unreasonable Grounds podcast, just like every other podcast episode that we do, I got to go over the ground rules. The ground rules, number one is don't get Mike fired. (laughs) And and, And rule number two is well, again, don't get Mike fired. Don't get me fired. So in on the on the podcast, as a first responder podcast, we don't go over anything political. We, this is a podcast for first responders, by first responders, and we keep everything positive on, on the light side, and the lighter side of the job itself. We talk about hobbies. We talk about the best cop movies, the best donuts, the best fast food, the best coffee. That's a huge part of this whole thing as well, too. Uh, but we stay about stay away from all the negative stuff. So A big part of the podcast as well is the tradition. And the tradition is we need to break donut. Liv, what do you got today for me? Today I have a honey cooler from Tim's. It's not my first choice. I wanted to go to a local place called Donut Party, but today's Thanksgiving and they were closed. Oh, well. So you ended up with the flaky, delicious, covered and smothered in the, I can't what they call it, the glaze, the sugar glaze of the honey cooler. Oh, my arteries are hardening just looking at this thing. Or AKA, as the Americans call it, the wagon wheel. Oh, yeah. Did you? Except in Canada, wagon wheels are those sort of puck-shaped chocolate things with a marshmallow centered. I, and, and that's the thing. We, that's a, in Canada, that's what we call them. We call them wagon wheels. And because and, and, you're, you're from kind of central Canada, right? I am. Born and raised. And even I spent some time in Regina. God, I spent almost a year in Regina. And, and one of the things I know. Regina. Regina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who wants to actually go there? Uh, no one wants. And during my time in Regina, I went to go get a donut and I ended up going to a smaller shop and I went in and I saw the honey crullers and they were calling them wagon wheels. What? And I was like, it, I, I'd never seen it in Canada. I was like, what are you talking about? That's a honey cruller. And they looked at me and they're like, yeah, if you go to Tim's, but here we call them wagon wheels. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go with it. But, but uh, I mean, it actually kind of looks like a wheel. <laughs> bumpy ride though. I guess kind of, right? So for me today, like I'm excited for yours, but for today, for me, I have the the pro move, which I know this is only audio only, but for the pro move, here we go. It is the Tim Hortons custom box. And I'm not sure if you've gone to the extent of getting the pro box here. No, I didn't. Uh, mine's just on a plate like a peasant. Well, hey, peasant stuff works too as well. So the box itself is exactly a Big Mac box, Big Mac carton. Yeah. You can ask for these things for free, and it stops the chocolate from coming off the Boston cream. And I don't what? know, I don't know how people didn't figure this one out long. Like the, the Tim's only started doing these when they had their specialty donuts, and most people sit there, like you said, like peasants and degens, and they just sit there and they end up getting this Boston cream inside of a paper bag, and they end up having to lick the top of the paper bag to get the chocolate off. Like an animal, yeah. Like an animal, right? What are we? We're an advanced species here, for Christ's sake. So instead, you go with the box. So I do have a Boston cream. I'm excited about it because 
and all my infinite wisdom when it comes to critiquing Boston creams. And I used to work at a Tim Hortons, so I know how they make them and I know how they get them out. The chocolate is decent. It's overfilled with cream, which I'm excited about. Important. But how about yours? What is yours looking like? It is what, what are we at? It's eight o'clock your time, seven o'clock my time. So it's probably not the freshest, but what are you thinking quality wise? Well, got a bit of spring to it. When you give it a squeeze, you can hear all the sugary topping kind of crackling. It smells pretty good. But what I like the most about honey crullers is their surface area because it has such a wrinkly textured surface. If you were to cut it open and spread it all the way out, it would be like a square foot of donut. So it's the most bang for your buck. Like mathematically speaking, you can't go wrong. Absolutely not. I have seen some bizarre things done to a honey cruller. I have seen the cronut. If you've ever seen the cronut, if, it, if it's a big thing in, in the province there. I've never eaten one, but I've heard of them. Okay. I've also seen a, a honey cruller opened up, cut up in the middle, and a complete layer of cream cheese thrown inside of it. Mm, I don't think I'd eat that. It's too rich. Oh, it's horrible. It, it, the savory, oh, the savoriness to it. And I've also seen people melt chocolate and do chocolate slabs and then fill the inside of it with chocolate and then whip cream on top and then put the top on top of it again. Yeah, that would be okay. Disturb, but they're, they're, they're ruining the donut. You know what? The, the honey cruller should be left as the honey cruller, traditional, so whatever you want to do it. Enough donut talk. Let's cheer this. Let's get it done. All right. Cheers. cheers. I love this sound effect. It totally picked mm. it up. We totally got the sound of you biting into that. This is the best part of the podcast for Mike and I when we're on. You're going for three bites. You got to pace yourself. You're going to demolish this thing right away, aren't you? It's delicious. It's actually pretty good. It must be fresh. And here I am trying to suffer through this thing. It's so filled with cream. Definitely not an all-nighter donut. No, 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 no. No way. Although possibly the honey cruller, I have to say, has got to be the hardest donut to eat while on duty. Well, it's really, really messy. And if you wear dark clothes, it's very unforgiving. You can totally mess that up. Like it's just, if you're sitting in the PC and you're with your partner, if you're a single car, double car, whatever it might be, and you're getting, even mm -hmm. if you get a code or if you get like, uh, you know, a tone alert or something like that, can you imagine running off and doing that? Like, what do you do with the honey cooler? I think so light, you can't exactly toss it back in the bag. You got no time to do that. You can't toss it out the window. Like it, it and no, then I guess the it, risk. It's just going to sit there and crumble in your hands. You got to show up to the call with all that stuff all over your, your vest and, you know, and probably in your lap as well, too. No, 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 no. You got to go with the yeast donuts with the chocolate on top, the dips, right? Am I, am I right? Well, chocolate, at least if it melts into dark colored clothes, you can't really tell. You have to look closely to see it. But white sugar, not so much. Yeah, the powdered sugar, you can't be doing it either, right? Okay. I know. Okay, so we knocked the donuts out, Liv. We got that done. Let's get right into it. Okay. And again, like I said, this is the deal. And I did a little bit of an intro when it came to the, the, the comic strip and how I came about it. But here's the biggest things that I liked about it. And then what I want, if you can, give me a little bit of background about how the whole thing started, right? But the biggest thing I like about it, it's got A, positive creative outlets for everyday stressors in our job. Like that's, I love that about the, the actual comic strip. You're a fantastic positive female role model when it comes into policing, especially for new and upcoming officers as well too. I mean, you imagine coming into policing and, you know, seeing these types of strips and saying like, yeah, they get me, they get, they, you know, this is something that I'm going to be getting into in the future. And you can lead them and mentor them into the job as well. And then you have an extremely progressive social media presence online, especially with the the comic strip itself and you let the comic strip do the talking yeah wow where do i begin so 
I started drawing the cartoon in 2016, which was before I was ever hired. And I guess as you probably know, it was just initially about why I didn't like working out and sort of my very tenuous relationship with making myself go and be active in a gym, which is not an environment I particularly love, but I understand it has its place. I started doing that. I didn't really have an audience at all, but it just, I made myself laugh and that was kind of good enough. And then when I ended up applying for the agency I work for and going through the recruiting process, which was incredibly stressful and took about six months and all the steps were very, very drawn out. There was a lot of waiting time, a lot of waiting time where you could imagine all the millions of reasons why you might actually be the worst person in the world and no one in their right mind would ever hire you because you're actually a complete, you know, horrible, horrible person. Yeah, yeah, stuff in your life that you never thought you'd have to think about again, but uh, that's okay. It happens, It'll, right? We all go through right. it. It's called life experience, right? So then I started drawing about waiting, waiting for that call and, you know, jumping up and like hanging on the light fixture whenever my phone rang and stuff like that. I mean, all work that's never really been published because, again, it wouldn't really have any meaning to anyone other than me, but kind of once... All of that, the basic training and then the field training was behind me. I started, my character had just sort of evolved into a police officer character. And I just saw so much material right in front of me that is bizarre or sometimes disturbing or upsetting. But there's still a way to kind of look at it in a way that maybe a little more lighthearted or positive or ironic. Just putting those ideas to paper and just coming home and coloring. I, if I'm in the right mood, I could just lose myself in that for hours like some people like to go play sports for hours some people like to game some people are musicians everyone has their thing and definitely this is my thing like if I have an idea it's just like I can't wait to sit down and work on it it's the best feeling so where does that come from growing up a little bit where did that come from the artistry so to speak because like you said you know some people do gaming some people like to work out some people have these different types of muses you know for their extracurricular time whatever it might be but was this something that you were doing as a kid? Was this something that it was just kind of doodling on the side? And obviously we know where it came from now and the origins of it, but like, how did that come about even just drawing and getting into this type of pastime, which is like you said, deep diving just into uh, drawing and sketching? It's been my thing as long as I can remember. According to my parents, I was about two when I started drawing. Like as soon as my child hand could hold a crayon, I was drawing things. I just... It's always been part of who I was, so I don't think I could ever pinpoint one specific time that it all kind of came to be, but it's always just as soon as I had the capabilities of holding something and drawing with it, then it just, it's just always been there, I guess. Okay, and it's hard to imagine, especially given the quality of the comic itself the the storyboarding I, I'm, I'm sure you do revisions and tons of other different revisions or maybe you don't like what was your first cartoon what did you have other ones before you made the character in getting into policing like it, it's so hard to believe it's so good and this is the whole pat on the back so to speak uh, and and a little bit of props and credit on this one but was there ever other comic strips that were started off because I've done a little bit of drawing in the past scribbling all the rest of that stuff and I've had kind of ideas of what you know what I was doing for the kids and making up that but was this the first one no I've drawn a few strips um going back to being about grade seven was the first I think let me think probably grade seven I wrote a car cartoon in grade seven with my best friend Wendy 
And it was about her two dogs, Sparky and Bear. Sparky was a corgi and Bear was a border collie. And But I mean, they were anthropomorphic dogs who talked and had jobs and had hilarious lives. And they were just all drawn on loose leaf paper. And I think they've been lost to the sands of time. But I think that was the first real cartoon that I ever drew. And then I was a big fan of the far side growing up. And Gary Larson is one of my biggest influences. I absolutely adore his very unique take on life. An absolute legend. Oh my God, Gary Larson. That's one person I would want to sit down and have a drink with. Well, and that's the thing, like growing up, I was a big comic uh, strip kid as well, too. Some people are comic book people and that, and you know, that's, you know, what do they call them? Graphic novels now. My daughter's yeah. really into it. My son's re- and my son is really into it. But I was like, I'm trying to get them more towards comic strips again. And Gary Larson was really big for the one-off. It was like one cell, one, you know, comment, social comment, whatever it might be. And he mm-hmm. absolutely rocked it every single time. And it's so much so in the syndication. I don't know. Was it a couple of decades? He wrote for close to 20 years, I think. I think he retired at the end of the 90s. Like, the 90s was such a golden age of the cartoon strip. You had Calvin and Hobbes. You had For Better, For Worse. You had The Far Side. You had Dilbert. You had Kathy. I mean, just to name a few, like, really good ones right there. My my favorite, Sherman. Oh, my goodness. You mean Herman? Her, Herman? No, mine was, was Sherman. Sh- no, mine was Sherman. Because Herman was, Herman was much older. Herman was that's right so Herman was in the 60s 70s and Sherman was actually the shark and the uh turtle and the crab and I do remember that that was in the paper we got every weekend I forgot about that so Sherman was my favorite it's just the the outlandish antics of a couple of like just thrown together sea animals sea creatures sitting there teasing humans was just probably the most hilarious thing I could possibly think of but yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Gary Larson was insane. But again, Calvin and Hobbes. I, I remember listening to the Blue Line Millennial podcast that you did not that long ago. And you had spoken a lot about, it's obviously, it's Bill Waterson, right? Bill Waterson. So Bill Waterson. Another and, absolute legend. Absolute God. They, they, Calvin and Hobbes. How was Calvin and Hobbes a, a big muse for you? Calvin and Hobbes was a strip I started reading from about the age of eight or nine. And... I think it was at one of my aunt's house. She had a few of the books. And I think when you're eight and you read Calvin and Hobbes, you're a little too young to understand that, you know, a sequence about a boy sitting in a cardboard box with a cardboard tiger is actually a commentary about kind of our, our greater place in the universe and how we understand where we are in space and time. But when you're eight, it's just you're sitting in a cardboard box with your favorite stuffed animal. And then when you read it as an adult, you can still appreciate the same art and the same story, but just on a very different level. I think what was so special about Calvin and Hobbes is that kind of no matter where you are in your life, the the strip speaks to you on a different level. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, and it does, it has a very unique uh, place in people's hearts as well too with Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it's different from uh, Peanuts, it's different from Zitz, it's different from all all the rest of these out there. And I remember always going to the public library back in St. Catharines and my dad would, he could only find me in the comic strip aisle. Like you would go there and you'd find the giant collections of Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'd be over there, but you know, as a kid, you didn't quite get it. Like you said, you get it as just a little boy talking with this stuffed animal, but they're having these grand adventures They're you know, and it's speaking to so many more topics later on when you 
go back and you review them. It's not like a Dilbert where as an adult, you're reading it. You're like, haha, that's funny. I work in an office too. I get the office politics and yeah, I got a devilish little dog that talks to me or whatever the hell that thing is. And you know, you just don't get it. But the Calvin and Hobbes, there was just something to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So even that, so we know a little bit about the origins of it. So getting into it, you were saying that it was sort of like when you were getting into policing. And if anybody wants to hear a little bit more as well, too, about your background and that, especially, like you said, into the sciences and a previous career and, and law enforcement being kind of like a second career, right? It's definitely my second career, maybe even my third or fourth, depending on how detailed I get. Yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, you know, people can also get into that Blue Line Millennial podcast as well, too, and hear a little bit of more more about that as well. But yeah, and this being a second career for you, I mean, you got into the the actual comic strip as a way to sort of, it sounds like venture frustrations and stressors when it came to the process itself. How did that evolve over time and in getting into what you see now, what we see on the Instagram pages, you know, and the comic strip that is before us that we can get our hands on? I guess the strip just sort of naturally evolved as I progressed in my career. I mean, I like to write about kind of what I'm currently, I guess I don't want to say dealing with, because that implies that it's somehow an issue, but whatever I'm kind of interacting with or noticing right now. So it wouldn't make sense to keep writing about something that was always stuck in the same point in time. I think for anything to remain relevant, you just kind of have to just keep going and stick with whatever it is that you're currently into but at the same time not get too caught up in kind of referencing things that are currently in popular culture because then you'll end up really dating yourself like it's it's kind of about striking a fine balance between writing about sort of what's current but not relegating yourself to a particular point in time if that makes sense. no and it totally makes sense and we saw that especially in older comic strips as well too you know because if you get something like a calvin and Hobbes, right and then you never really saw that time they never talked about current events they never talked about what was going on in the world at that time where they had the ability to do so if they wanted to I mean, they had syndication from 85 to 95. There was a lot going on in the world between 85 and 95, right? Yeah. The end of the Cold War, you could have all these different things going on where some of the comic strips dove right into that. So I can definitely appreciate what you're doing, especially in your comic strip, like you said, staying away from that and not relegating yourself into one particular time frame that it becomes outdated. But the beautiful thing about law enforcement, especially because that's that's the topic in which you write. It's your muse, so to speak, I guess, for the content that you're putting out, if I'm not mistaken, is that it never really changes. You can dive into the political side, which we don't do on this podcast. And, you, and I notice that you don't do it on in the comic strip either, which I can really appreciate because I hate getting into that stuff. Me too. But in your comic strip, this is why I love about it is because like I'll, I'll throw a couple of examples. These are some of the some of the ones I really, really like. And I'd love to ask you some questions about it. The The very first one I got to tell you, Liv, is the stolen car where we have the SWAT unit, the dog. They got the air unit rushing out after the tone alert and all the rest of that. Yeah. That resonated with me so much, and I'm pretty sure that can resonate with so many other uh, law enforcement officers. And 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 just because it was just like that is exactly how you feel when that comes in, and then when something stupid like that happens, where you're just like, this guy's in the train track, or he's got you know the stop sticks out there, and he runs it over. Then it is the actual owner of the <laughs> the car is like, oh, I didn't report it in that I got it back. If it's a T walker or whatever it might be. Like, mm -hmm. like, 
coming up with that type of thing? Like, I, it, we don't talk about investigative stories and that stuff, but was this something that might have happened before that you're aware of? Uh, yep, definitely. <laughs> Without getting too specific, yeah. um, <laughs> I can think of a situation where somebody ran a vehicle, it came back as stolen, they phoned the registered owner, couldn't get a hold of them. They're now in heavy traffic trying to follow this thing but not get it too close, calling where it's going, and they're calling in a covert units, they're calling in tactical, calling the helicopter, calling the dog car, and it's just this giant crazy train of people. Everyone just wants to get a piece of that, right? Follow it all the way to a restaurant. It's the registered owner. It's been not stolen for a few days. No one has bothered to take it out of the system. You probably, you've got like, you got your street crimes units, your auto crime units that are sitting on the vehicle out in the parking lot. Everybody's ready to go in the event this thing takes off again. You got other things going on. I could only imagine something like that happening. I, I'm just my, myself coming out of a street crimes unit and I could just like, it completely resonated with me, especially while I was off and, and coming back to work. But, you know, it's it's not just the content itself, but how you're drawing it is what got me as well, too. Because when I was looking at, I think it's like the first or second cell, and you see like these wild, crazy colors, and it just, it speaks so, it speaks so well to the actual, like what happens and the emotions behind a tone alert, so to speak. Like you hear that, or if it's a, you know, a, a loud broadcast of an actively stolen vehicle. I just, it immediately put me back in the seat of my PC and thinking about exactly that situation as as you know, the nice thing about Instagram is that you can't see the next cell and you got to keep swiping over to get it. And then every single cell going forward, I'm just like, this is like epic. Like what, how, I'm just curious for something like that. Is it something like you think about for a little bit and you're like, ah, oh, that was funny. Like you were saying a couple of minutes ago, you were like, well, you know, it's not like you have the opportunity to sit down and think about something that's not currently happening, but it might be something that happened in the past. How long? Like, is it just like you get home, you kind of doodle down? Like, I've got a notebook for the podcast that I think about ideas and jot these things down. Is that something like you do? I usually think about them for a few days before I even start to draw them down. It's, I guess, kind of like cooking a really good stew. It needs to cook for a while before it tastes right. You can't just throw it together and hope it turns out. It, it definitely needs to kind of percolate and get that right flavor. And sometimes I'll think about an idea for weeks before I kind of have it thought out like how kind of how I want the, the frames to look like rarely will I just get an idea and sit down and draw it and I'm happy with it it usually takes quite a bit of time who's your sounding board you have to have a sounding board that you use to be able to give you advice and, and kind of bounce those ideas off of is it obviously like who is that person I actually don't bounce ideas off my co-workers a whole lot <laughs> Oh, a lone wolf. I like it. I like this even better because it's like you're just full on throwing it out there to the world, eh? I I don't. Like, I don't actually talk about my work uh, a whole lot at work. Like, I guess a lot of people know about it. But generally, my husband's a person who's my sounding board because he does not, not work in law enforcement. And he's pretty objective and usually gives good feedback. So Nice. I yeah. For me with the podcast, I, I give my wife some ideas. I'm like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about the top 10 donuts. And she just shakes her head at me sometimes. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm going to go out to Dairy Queen and get some Dairy Queen coffee and I'll review it on the podcast. Like, I was just throwing out like 8 million different ideas and that. So it's interesting that you do the exact same thing. How it, does he love it? He's got to love it. I want to, I don't want to sound too gushy and say he's my biggest fan, but he's probably my biggest fan. I hope so. <laughs> if he's listening. <laughs> 
I think he's probably skulking around the house somewhere within earshot. So yeah, it's it's. And that's the thing, like even getting into them. And that was the other one is that, you know, we start getting into uh, the comic strips that I have a deep emotional tie to and I can't help it. And it's, you know, some people think a little bit about the, the job and then some people think a lot about the job. And, you know, in several cases and instances that I've been through, I really kind of have to think about that is that there was one where it was you're you're with your spouse you're you're upset with one another you're arguing back and forth about like stupid menial little stuff and all the rest of that and you have to take two seconds to you know walk away from it and go what what happens if this is the last time i, I speak to speak to you was what what goes on and then it ends with the two of you getting back together and hugging and you know it, Obviously, your 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 partner has a big part of this, and and what drives some of these comics as well too. Is that important to you? Like, obviously, that has to be important to you. It's incredibly important to me. It's not a job I would want to do if I didn't have that kind of support at home. Just knowing that someone is always going to be there for you, no matter what. When you're having a good day, when you're having a bad day, when you're being a giant asshole because you can't lash out at work at the things that are upsetting you sometimes you end up lashing out at the person that's closest to you and it's not right and it's not okay and it's just a super shitty thing to do but it's also hard not to when you can't tell the person that you pulled over what a giant sack of shit you actually think they are (laughs) (laughs) and that's the other one that's another comic strip that i really like that i had i got a whole list i'm just like because i couldn't really separate i like every single one of them but i was like trying to pick out like maybe five or six that really hit it. And I just started laughing about, but that was one of the other ones I saw as well too, is, is obviously the road trip. And, oh, the road trip. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I put that on is that is exactly how my wife Maris must see me is that I'm sitting in the car and if I'm driving or she's driving, whatever it might be. And I'm just sitting there in my head and like, again, like what the hell is that guy doing? What's that guy doing over there? Why is she parked that uh-huh. way? Why, like, it, that's totally a stolen motorcycle. Like, that thing's going to take off for sure. Do I call it yep. in? Do I not call it in? What, you know, and all those things going on, and it immediately hit home. And I was like, man, I do that. You actually, your comic strip actually made me really think about the way that I go on road trips. The funny thing about that particular strip is I wrote it at the end of a road trip. <laughs> we drove it eight hours to go see my parents. And in eight hours, you pass many different motorists in various states of stupidity and i just like oh look at that asshole speed look at that bitch on her phone look at that jerk with the obscured play look at that stupid truck with no muffler and does he think he's cool and just it came out and it it landed it hit it was spectacular i i actually think I'm trying to think because it might have been the one I passed it on to somebody else because I'm like, hey, you got to check this out. I refer your comic strip all the time to people. I'm like, you guys got to check this out. And that was one of them. And they were getting a huge laugh. The other one had to have been the burglar with getting his head stuck in the door. He's breaking in. That's a true story. (laughs) I was not there, but somebody told somebody who was there told me about it. Some fine, upstanding fellow decided to break into a liquor store one night and smashed out the glass, stuck his head through to climb through and got his head stuck between the bars. So stuck that he couldn't get out and the fire department had to come and extract him. <laughs> I just... wish I'd been there. I, I could just, I had to use my imagination to envision how that all would have looked. I'm just sad I wasn't there in person. That's actually part of this job itself is that 
we get to be around people that have incredible stories. And sometimes, and this is the way I look at it, because there's nothing I love more than working a night shift and doing the 2 a.m. coffee. We did like not quite the witching hour. And I know large municipality where I work on Vancouver Island, we have about a city of, I think we're probably about 80, 90,000 people. So it's a smaller city, but we still have the, like the not quite witching hour of two to four. We get that kind of off before all the ridiculous stuff starts coming in again. And we have the opportunity to have that coffee break, whether it be in a parking lot, whether it be in a restaurant, if we have a 24 hour, whatever, get the access to be able to sit down and just cool down for a little bit from the night shift. And be able to talk about uh-huh. stories. And sometimes hearing those stories and not being there is way better. Because it allows your imagination to just fly when it comes to filling in the tiny little stuff that you don't necessarily hear about. And it, now knowing that, you know, this is an incident just like that. That's exactly, if somebody told me that story, that's exactly how I would have envisioned it. And then the whole situation you describe about sitting down in a coffee shop and trading all your hilarious stories was the inspiration for the one where you're talking with the dead guy that melted into the chair, the methed out naked guy swinging from the flagpole. And then, you know, there's the family with 10 young children sitting next with their horrified expressions. Like, well, I thought it was funny. I guess no one else thinks it's funny. <laughs> well, and <laughs> it, it, there, there's nothing I find better than walking through the office and literally looking at my supervisors or whatever it might be. And you hear something funny that, you know, most people wouldn't quite hear the dark humor behind it. And my favorite thing to do is walk up to them with a straight face and say, you know, you're broken, right? And this to hear the hysteric laughing from the office. Like, if you've been doing this job long enough, of course you're broken. Or to quote Alice in Wonderland, we're all mad here. Well, exactly, right? And then, you know, the other one that I really, I, I came to appreciate as well, too, and, and something that drives probably my, my wife nuts. And there's a reason why, you know, I, I have the saying in where we live is I don't crap where I eat. And I choose not to live in the community that I police in only because I don't want to be surrounded by the same places all the time that I work, you know, a 12 or 11 hour shift going from house to house, place to place and going street to street. And one of those mm-hmm. strips actually talks about that. And I wanted to immediately give it to uh, Maris just to take a look at it and be like, this is exactly where my head is when we're going through a neighborhood or out for a walk in, let's say, the place where I police. And it's the episode, it's it's the cartoon, the comic strip where you go house to house, you're out for a walk and you happen to be like, well, that person, there was a domestic over there, then there's this over here and those people have a big issue with those neighbors and... This one's a meth lab, that one's full of roaches, there's a crazy cat lady with 3,000 cats in there, I once found a thousand pound dead guy in the basement of that house, like while you're eating something delicious... Hey, look at all these wonderful houses. You don't even know. <laughs> it's a beautiful neighborhood. It really seems really, really nice here. What a lovely city I live in. <laughs> <laughs> but again, another reason why I don't do that, only because I don't want to be around it all the time. And I get questions about it all the time as well, too. Be like, uh, you know, in, in some cases, you can't really get away from it. You really can't. You either live in the suburbs, especially if you're policing in a major yeah. city in Canada. But when you have the opportunity, especially in a place where I live on Vancouver Island, you could sprawl out quite a bit into the communities and you would never have to go into the place where you police, which is a definite benefit. Right. But in this mm-hmm. case, that like I said, that that comic strip just absolutely landed. Now, I could literally talk to you all night long about your comic strips, but here's the biggest thing. I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to see what is next. Liv, tell me what's next. What's going on next for the comic strip? I'm writing one right now. It was an idea that I got a few 
weeks ago, but I wasn't totally happy with. And I guess it sort of percolated enough that I was happy with it. So I've got about three of the six frames drawn out and colored, and you'll just have to wait and see in a few days when it goes live. And I guess in terms of longer term goals, I would love to be able to publish a book someday, but I just don't think I have enough material yet because I wouldn't want it to be just a skinny little comic book. Like it better be a far, far side anthology big one. Yeah, exactly. My my hopes for the comic strip is that you have a ton of success and continued success going forward over the next year, especially within the career as well, too. And I really need to see those comic strips in something like a Blue Line magazine. That would be cool. Is that, you know, I keep pushing it and I keep promoting all the rest of this stuff and making sure, but there's going to be emails sent out. There just has to be because, you know, more and more people need to see this. Like, you know, we've talked about five or six different comic strips and almost up to like probably almost a dozen different ones today on the podcast. But we need to see more of this because it's helping with mental health is what it's doing. I mean, we hear a lot about mental health going on these days. We just had World Mental Health Day yesterday as well, too. We need more of this and we need more of your creations out there because it is really helping people to be able to say like, hey, this is normal. This is, you know, somebody else is going through this exact same thing that I am. And it's really helping out, I think, because based on the referrals I've given out, people are getting excited about it. And I'm hoping, are you starting to see that? You starting to feel that from people that you work with? I received so much positive feedback, both from people that I know and work with and complete strangers who have taken the time to send me a message, not just from in this city, but from across Canada, all over the States and even parts of Europe. And it's really gratifying to know that there are small universal truths that we all share in our work, no matter where we are. And if just even a small part of that resonates with somebody else, that feels really good. Yeah, I, I could totally imagine. Where, where's the weirdest place you've had, you know, some good props coming out of, like some place completely bizarre? Oh, let me think. That you, uh, that you would have never imagined that you would ever hear from. I guess France, but France doesn't seem like a very bizarre place to me. <laughs> but again, an English comic strip, though. I mean, obviously, yeah. English is all over Europe and, and, and you start to see that. But yeah, it, that makes kind of sense, right? I mean, obviously, we have so many connections with France and within Canada, with Quebec and, and Francophone speaking Canadians. It, it must have gotten out that way, right? I guess it got there somehow, which I think is pretty cool. It's the amazing part about Instagram is, is that it just, once it's out there, it's out there and it kind of spreads. Uh, even with our podcast, I'm, I'm pretty amazed with the, the stretch and the, the distance that we start to see, like people from Paraguay and, and a couple other oh, wow. places. But it's, it's, it's got to be interesting to have that. Now, when it comes to the positive feedback, how does that enhance the comic strip at all? Like, do you continue and get more motivated by that to be able to put out more uh, comic strips? Oh, definitely. I mean, getting a compliment is just one of the nicest feelings that you can have if somebody has something nice to say about your work and they're just literally reacting to your work without ever having spoken to you in person or ever interacted with you. It's just based on whatever it is that you create. And it definitely motivates me to keep creating things because it's kind of a nice positive feedback loop to put something out there and then receive something positive in return and in a way I mean it motivates you because you don't want to let people down you want to keep providing reading material I guess and it's good motivation for me to keep going I sometimes when I have writer's block I get worried that I run out of ideas and like well I guess this is it I don't have any more ideas I guess I'm done oh crap that happened to me last week but then I sort of remembered the idea that I'm working on now and tweaked it and now I'm happy with it so 
Yeah, you, you got to keep sending out those uh, Instagram live stories where it's like, got writer's block, send me out. I can only imagine the things that you get sent when you put well, out the... So good, but the sad thing is most of them I can't illustrate just because of how zany or gory or wacky the subject matter is. I mean, maybe someday I'll do a X-rated edition. I don't know. Just like, I don't know. you can't make this stuff up. And I laugh so hard. And the trouble that people have taken to send me their anecdotes, it's, I get just bust got laughing. It's better than TV. Yeah, it's, a, it's like watching Cops Unrated. Oh, it's better. <laughs> totally unfiltered, unrated. All right, Liv, I got to say, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I was, This is, like I said, probably one of the top two uh, interviews that I wanted to do, if not the top interview that I wanted to do ever since I started this podcast after following. I'm, I'm, I'm just so, I'm a huge fan of the, of the comic strip. I'm a huge fan of everything that you're doing right now. Please keep it up. Is there, where, where can everybody, if they're not actually into and on the page, where can we find your comic strip? It's only on Instagram. That's the only platform I publish on. I started a Facebook page for it years ago, but I found it kind of a pain in the butt to update. So Instagram's just more user-friendly. And, it's and, the only one I update. And what's the profile? I'm going to be putting it, obviously, in the bio, my bio as well, too. And I think I, I, I send it out all the time anyways, but let people know where to find it. it um, on Instagram, at ThinBlueScribble. And I think there's maybe some mugs going around with some of the, the comic strips on it. What do we got going on with that? Right now, there are four mugs. They just have... My favorite one is the These Aren't My Pants, which is... <laughs> no one has ever said that before. My favorite. These aren't my... Whoa, where did all these drugs come from? These aren't my pants. <laughs> oh, you're wearing them. And where, that... can we, and where can we find those? If, if, if anybody wanted to go out and buy one of those, where would we find them? They are welcome. There's a link on my... Instagram page that'll lead you to a online store there. Yeah. Get the mug. So the maybe on- someday there'll be other stuff. That's what I got right now. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Liv, again, thank you so much. Go out there. Make sure anybody listening, go out there and find Liv's Instagram page. You need to check it out. You need to, like, it's just, it's so important, especially if you're getting into this job, if you're in this job long enough and you're just like finding yourself a little run down by everything, go out, find the strip it'll put you right at ease. You'll know that, you know, everybody else is dealing with the exact same thing that you are. Thin Blue Scribble, check it out. Liv, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And if anyone has a funny idea, tell me. I love hearing other people's stories. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Remember, make sure you check out the Unreasonable Grounds podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, as well as just check out the website, www.theunreasonablegroundspodcast.com. Check it out. We got all our updated news. You're going to have lots of links for for Liv's uh, comic strip. You'll have everything there that you need to be able to find Liv. And uh, guys, be safe out there. Have a good night. Lights, sirens, heroes, you're listening to the Unreasonable Grounds Podcast.